You're listening to 3CR Radio. 3CR broadcast from the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded in this country. And You're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we chat with songwriter Christy Apps and new Yaramir Gabrielle DeVitri joins us. 3CR Well, Christy Apps is a songwriter from Brisbane whose new single These Streets was released today and I chatted with Christy this week. Well, I wrote These Streets like it's quite surreal to me because I can still remember the moments that I was sort of ping-ponging around the uh, streets of Berlin and this song kind of came to me. Uh, my my partner had it, had it in her mind that we were going to do um, a million things in one day, which was fabulous, and we ended up having like a this massively long day in Berlin and sort of doing you know our mission was to do a queer club and a punk bar in the one night and we kind of nailed those two things and I just remember walking the streets like it had just gone dark at 10 o'clock at night and um, just feeling so connected to the city and the entire experience I had there I was really like a, a sponge just sort of you know I hadn't learnt a lot about um, Berlin history in school and um, it just fascinated me and how how full of arts and music and um, you know still still poverty and and still kind of rebuilding after all that but it just felt like anything could happen there I, and I, it just excited me and I felt really connected to it. And I absolutely love the music video. It's got a real protest uh, feel to it and protest imagery as well. Tell us about those those images. Yeah, so that's sort of, I guess, what what came to mind to me when I was in Berlin was the, the power that the people had. Like, you know, people were quite vigilant about their the politics and and um, had had quite a bit of influence over the politics in their country um and i felt that real i felt that like that was really inspiring um it's a lot less regulated i guess as as most of europe is to to what i'm sort of used to here in australia but it just sort of um it made me feel like the people had had such a big say in what was happening on their streets and that kind of really inspired me for a place that had gone through so much um, and seemingly been quite educated about what has happened and kind of, um, you know, looked it in the in the eye and kind of said, you're not going to pull that kind of, you know, swifty over us again and, and in turn um, have, have had quite a, um, like a, a woke kind of society and, and you know, recognising that um, that was my my experience and my in my kind of, you know, week that I spent there. But it felt very, um, very alive and and still still on some of the 
doors to go into the clubs, you know, it had no homophobia, no sexism, like all of these things of what is just not tolerated. And I was just like, I felt really um, safe and it just walking through the city at 2 a.m., you know, it just sort of, um, there was something about it. So when we were doing the film clip, that was really important to me, this whole idea that, um, you know, we ha- all we have is each other and all we have are our voices and our, um, our, our, you know, ways of being and belonging to kind of make change in this world. And I felt really inspired by, by sort of experiencing that when I was there. And, of course, the single's release sounds really timely considering the, the rise of the far right. It sounds like these streets is a progressive anthem against the far right in some ways. Absolutely. Like it, it's sort of, it's scary that, that um, you know, potentially even in the, the couple of years since I was in Berlin, you know, things are changing kind of worldwide where that that um, far right voice is sort of, you know, getting getting quite loud and, and it's really scary and we have to think about, you know, what's gone before us and, and what's happened and, um, and get a bit of that that vigilance and strength and and kind of going no that that just we if if we sit back you know and in Australia um we've you know had been lucky in some ways um as you know speaking from my experience as a you know as a white Australian um as around adversity and not experiencing something that um you know, cities like Berlin have experienced and, and you know, but being a member of the queer community, I am sort of, you know, aware that the rights that we have can be taken away as quickly as what they're given to us and um, I think we need to be really mindful as an entire, you know, community and, and you know, a, a group of people around the world that that's that's not just you know, a minority thing that can be really, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it happening in in these world leaders that, um, you know, are giving rise to these kind of voices that are really promoting hatred and and fearing people, and that's bloody scary. It sounds like you've got a real awareness of social justice issues and and history. What are some of the other social justice issues that are dear to your heart? I think like the album is um, the album that will, will be released soon is called Take Heed and it, and it's sort of that that title track is kind of a reflection for me. Um, I wrote it in Tasmania um, where I felt it was the first time I'd ever been in Tasmania and I felt just this immense sadness of the way um, Aboriginal people had been treated and and their history um there and and I think that you know I mean that goes for our nation as a whole so um that's sort of definitely something that um really I feel really strongly about um uh so that that sort of a, a, a one of the kind of rec- songs on the album um I think just sort of you know this real feeling that it's time to, to it's really time to wake up and um, look at marginalized communities and how they are um, treated in this country and around the world and giving 
people power who really deserve to have power and a voice and and I guess as a songwriter that's sort of one of the things that um, I hold really dear that maybe um, through my music I can um, not necessarily talk for anyone else but certainly be a, um, be a visible queer woman writing music and making music that's you know unapologetically queer about my experience and my love and um my communities in in some way shape or form and I think you know visibility still has a long way to go and and I think that like that's something that I've I've just yeah I find so important. Tell us about the recording process that you've um that you've gone through with uh these streets and also with the new album that's coming out Take Heed. Yeah so I it's it's a kind of a different process for me. I've recorded it over a longer period of time um, where I we um, I brought my band into the studio and we kind of laid down the beds for, for five tracks that were um, songs that we were already playing. Um, and then I kind of, I was, I finished my, I was sort of studying social work and doing my honours thesis and I kind of finished that and then I brought these other five songs to the table which are kind of um, the a, a bit more electric and a bit more rocky and um, so we kind of did it in, in these two different chunks and laid it all down um, with a great producer in Brisbane, um, Jeff Lovejoy, but it was, it felt really organic and easy. Like I just, I play with, um, such an amazing band who feel like they're very much part of my music and my sound. Um, so we kind of just laid it, laid it down pretty quickly. Um, and then did some, some tweaks and, and, and it's great as a songwriter to kind of have that time in the studio when you're listening to other uh, people laying down their parts and then really you know connecting with the songs again on another level and then sort of thinking of you know what might be um, some counter melodies I might want to sing or what what's have I gotten out the exactly what I want to say in this and is there a subtle way that I can kind of weave something else in um, as kind of icing on the cake and and I got that that kind of experience so um yeah it was pretty it was pretty cool it was a pretty cool rock and roll recording where we just sort of laid it down and um and built it up and yeah I'm I'm I'm, yeah probably the happiest I've ever been with anything I've ever recorded so that's super exciting and I sense you've got a real connection with your band tell us about them yeah, there um a couple of the the band members I've been playing with for uh over 10 years. So since my last um full band recording was in 2010. So we kind of met um just before that and and they kind of uh, my drummer Jeff Green, he kind of just came in as a session musician. Um and Ruth Gardner, who is a is a dear, has been a dear friend for a long time and an amazing guitarist. Um, and then a few years ago, I started playing with um, Brendan Watterson on on bass. And yeah, we just sort of something really clicked, and we and I had a really clear idea of what kind of music was inspiring me at the time. And um, 
and we kind of just started sort of jamming on these new songs and I was just like, yeah, that's it. That's that's exactly the sound I'm looking for and it just sort of, yeah, felt really right. I really sense from your music videos that you've got a lot of experience playing live in pubs. Tell us about that journey. Yeah, I mean, I've played in pubs for, yeah, for a long time. I started playing in my first band when I was about 19 um, and it was kind of a grunge, a grunge kind of band, a grunge punk maybe. Um, and then I've just sort of, yeah, I've, I've over the years really kind of shifted my music into different kind of areas that have I've been really kind of inspired um, to play in um, and, yeah, just really I guess, you know, some of the best gigs I've played have been, you know, big pride festivals and Mardi Gras and really great sort of um, queer gigs but also really cherishing some of the really little intimate shows that I play. I love a good I love a good dive bar. I love a good dirty, dingy toilet. <laughs> I love that that feeling of, um, you know, performing in really real spaces to diverse crowds and um, it's it's super fun. I mean, yeah, I guess it hasn't always been easy. There's been um, times where, especially early in my career, I was playing kind of really, um, really kind of more heavy music and, times where I just sort of didn't feel super safe with the audience I was playing to and and that was something that really shifted my career I think it shifted my mindset around well who do I who do I want to be playing music to um and having a and sharing that experience with um yeah and and that kind of that kind of shifted a little bit of the way I played music um in that maybe the style of music that I was playing and the gigs that I was sort of going after. But, yeah, it's something playing live to me is that moment where even if I've been, even if I'm really nervous before I go on, but when I'm, when I'm on stage, I feel quite at one with myself and with, you know, everything that's going on around me and that's, you know, super precious and, and something not to take for granted and I've got such a great um, audience base here in Brisbane that it really feels like kind of community when at shows, like everyone's kind of catching up and and I feel really connected to the people that are listening to my music, which is quite a beautiful experience. And, of course, some great bands have come out of Queensland. Tell us about the Brisbane music scene, especially at the moment uh, during the pandemic. Uh, are people still doing live gigs? Yeah, well, it's it had been like a six month break. So that from you know, I think February to um, August, there wasn't much happening. There, well, there was nothing happening. So um, still, just kind of sort of doing the online kind of concerts and stuff, which I did maybe one of and was and I I enjoyed it, but it, it just made me realize how much I live I miss live shows. Um, and now, though, where where we've just started since August with the smaller venues, like the smaller crowds, so sort of fifty max in in venues, and um, people have just been coming out in droves and kind of lapping that up. You know, for for musicians in the scene, you know, most shows are just selling out, and I think that's you know really boosted 
the music scene really in Brisbane where, you know, you, people are pre-purchasing tickets, no one's rocking up to and hope there's a ticket on the door. Everyone's kind of knowing that they have to plan in advance and and come along and um, it's been really cool. I mean, you know, it's been really tough that, that it was that big break but now, um, yeah, and people are really thirsty for connection and for music and it's quite, it's there's it a really great vibe. 3CR You're listening to an interview with Christy Apps on 3CRs in your face. So tell us about some of the other tracks on your album. Uh, do they have that kind of, you know, rock, rootsy, bluesy feel that these streets have? Yeah, they kind of do. Like um, they're like I said, there's sort of these five that maybe have a more uh, where I play the acoustic and five where I play the electric, um, but they meld together um, really nicely because the energy is really similar and some of the acoustic tracks actually feel um you know, heavier or or as, you know, intense and rocky to me as the electric sort of track. So um, they've quite, they were, there's a real gamut of kind of expression. It, it's, you know, it's not something, um, you know, it sort of is over the last maybe four or five years of my life I've kind of written this so it's not quite it's not very retrospective as some of the other albums or songs that I've written it's pretty kind of in the moment um you know there's themes on it there's lots of things on it about I guess how through you know ugliness and difficult situations we can still find hope and something to um you know kind of celebrate you know, I don't know if celebrates the right word, but, you know, there's a song called In That Town, which I wrote when I was on a train driving past an old warehouse that I used to work at, kind of picking orders in this really grim, freezing cold warehouse full of homophobic and racist people most of the time. Um, and I, it it kind of, for me, reminded me of, this I, I reflected on it like when I'm you know feeling low or depressed like it kind of feels like that place where it's really you know dingy and cold and um so I wrote this song in that town kind of about um how even in places where shit feels you know really um really dirty and and there's a bit of despair um there's also a way to kind of, um, you know, find your way through it and almost, you know, that they're kind of some of the times or some of the experiences that can really um, change the, the fabric of who we are or give us a bit of, give, give us a bit of um, strength to get through maybe the next thing or when we're in the, in the town again, you know, we've got, we've got a bit more resilience or understanding that, oh yeah, this is really shit, but um, the train's going through the station, and and I'm and things might be a bit different. So yeah, I guess you know there's a there's a bit of that around, um, just just calling things for what they are, but not in a way that's you know bogs you down or or means there's no room to move or go somewhere different. You know, yeah, I guess that's a bit that that's kind of you know quite a common theme on it. 
you've got that wonderful gift of being a great storyteller and songwriter, but really knowing your way around the guitar as well. Tell us about your connection with the guitar. Yeah, thanks, James. That's a really lovely thing to say. Um, I played, I got guitar, I got a guitar when I was about in year 10, I think, and I went to some lessons and, and I learnt just a bunch of songs. Um, I was never really musical, so, you know, I can't read music. I, I don't really call myself a musician. Um, I really feel like a songwriter. It's it's something that I shut my eyes kind of and, and you know, play play a few chords and strum it, strum it you know, strum my guitar and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I lo- you know, that's a cool little riff or something. Um, it's, um, yeah, so I got this, I got a guitar and then I bought a 12-string acoustic guitar um, in my last year of high school. My mum bought it for me, actually. It was probably, it is the most significant and amazing present I ever got. Um and I was really into my 12-string and I was a bit into John Butler and I was a bit into kind of making it sound a bit, um, you know, rough and rocky, not so much a, a real picky kind of instrument, which is it's sort of often used as. Um, and and I just started writing my own songs and that was really the the pinnacle for me. As soon as I could put music and chords to the lyrics that I'd written it was like um I think it was like a savior like to be honest that I you in high school you know had a bit of a tough time and didn't necessarily always feel like you know I was you know I belonged with with everyone I was hanging out with or but this this connection to music really kind of got me through and and helped me express feelings that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to articulate. I wouldn't have been able to necessarily know what to do with. Um, and that's sort of, yeah, what what made me even fall deeper in love with the art of songwriting. And I still think, yeah, like um, it's something that I don't take for granted and, and yeah, just feel super lucky to have um, to be able to to do it, and and not as a great musician, not as somebody that you know feels um, really talented in the in the music kind of realm. Um, and I think that's that's kind of cool. Like that's you know part of art is not being perfect at it, and and not being. Um, you know, technically brilliant all the time, but just finding those bits that connect with with people and that connects with you and makes it um, relatable. That's so interesting because, of course, when you actually play the guitar, you seem like you're technically trained. Uh, you must have a real kind of, you know, earthy kind of connection to it, but you seem so technically trained. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's just something. I guess it, it. I guess it sort of came naturally as far as, um, you know, like the songwriting and the playing the, you know, playing rhythm guitar to what I'm singing and and you know that stuff just develops over time. But yeah, I mean, I listen to uh, Ruth, my guitar player, um, and she's just a phenomenally um, talented guitarist and and I love it and I love that we can work so well together where where I kind of bring that 
you know, the meat and potatoes of the song and and she just knows exactly how to how to lift it and and take it into into another place and really support what I've done and that's pretty cool. Of course, there's been parallels made between you and Melissa Etheridge. What do you think of that? Oh, look, I mean, I I think Melissa Etheridge is another another reason why I got through high school um, reasonably unscathed because um, she. I think I, I heard her in 1988 for the first time and I just remember kind of losing my stomach a little bit and and I was only um, I was only young like 11 or 12 and and I remember thinking what is this feeling what is going on um, and just really you know not knowing yet not not being aware of my sexuality at all and just something about her and her power and her gutsiness um and and who who she was and how she dressed and it just all resonated with me and I hadn't seen really anything like it you know it was this visibility of um of connectedness that that was so important to me and and really was super important to me you know for for a lot of the um those really important kind of foundation years as a as an ad, adolescent and a and a young person, um, and I listened. You know, I I took time, different different years where I was listening to really different music, but um, and I did do recently a Melissa Etheridge um, show where I played her entire album, her Red um, debut album, some sort of from front to back, and I remember. Um, you know, it's something that people have people have made those comparisons, and for so long, I I didn't play any Melissa Etheridge songs because it, I think, because they meant a lot to me, and you know, I thought, well, why why do something that's already <laughs> pretty perfect, and and what if I don't do it justice, and all of these sort of thoughts, and it probably wasn't until I felt really um, secure in my my career and my songwriting and I wasn't so worried about kind of breaking away from that because I I know you know how what a what a different kind of artist that I am but I could then really embrace um and and take on this massive kind of um project of of singing this incredible record that that had really shaped who I was you know and it 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 felt so good to do it and I really I'm so glad that I that I did it so um yeah and it's those kind of first couple of albums of hers that really really resonate with me they're raw they're really raw and and I I just um I love them so I am not opposed to a, a Melissa Etheridge comparison that's for sure um and especially now where I, I kind of 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 um I have cr- like crafted or or molded my own identity outside of outside of that comparison and and that just makes it the more sort of special to get that that comment said to me any chance when covid restrictions are all over around the country that we might see you on tour and might even get the chance to see you play live here in melbourne Absolutely. I would love that so much. I'm really missing playing in Melbourne. I've got a lot of friends in Melbourne and, um, 
have have loved touring there in the past. So yeah, I'm I'm having those little cravings of you know when you're on the street and you can smell something. I'm thinking that really smells like Melbourne. I really wish I I can't wait to be there. So um, definitely, as soon as this is all um, the the restrictions are lifted, and I'm I'm releasing the album next March March to April, um, and I would love to tour it in Melbourne and and come and say hello in face to face. Fantastic. Chrissy Apps, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. Congratulations on the release of These Streets. It's a great single. Thanks, James. Thanks so much for having me.
maps with these streets. Well, Gabrielle Devitri is a queer person and the newly elected mayor of the city of Yarra in inner city Melbourne. And Gabrielle begins that interview by describing her journey as an activist that led her to local government. I can start in 2014, actually. Um, it was kind of my moment when everything changed. I was invited as an artist to exhibit in the Sydney Biennale um, and I'd worked on this commission for two years. I'd been, I've been an artist for 15 years um, working on big, large-scale projects of social and political issues. Um, so I was invited to be in the Sydney Biennale and a month before the show was due to open, I found out that the major sponsor of the Biennale, Transfield, was about to start a new major contract to take over um, the the offshore immigration detention centres on Manus Island and Nauru. Um, so I contacted every single one of the 93 international artists who were in the Biennale, invited them into a discussion as how we as to how we deal with this as a group, um, and lots of ideas were thrown around. But after lots of um, consultation and deliberation, I realised that nothing could justify my participation in this exhibition. So I decided to pull out of the biggest opportunity of my artistic career and mounted a, a huge boycott of this campaign. Um, I didn't know the exact strategy to take um, to have the best effect on the immigration detention industry, but I knew that I couldn't be involved in this chain of associations that led to human misery. Um, so I acted on conscience and I, and I acted with hope. Um, and as a consequence of that campaign, um, a whole lot of things happened and Transfield effectively dissolved. Um, they they left the Biennale and, and then kind of collapsed. Um, and very soon afterwards, the company that took over announced that they were pulling out of Australia's immigration detention centres. But what it did for me is that it realised that probably the most impactful thing that I was doing as an artist was to withdraw my work. Um, and so that began deep and extensive questioning about my role, that I'm the role that I'm playing in political change, especially when we face such um, urgent and horrific things like the immigration detention regime um, and the effectiveness of my participation in society. So I ramped up my activism and it spurred me to undertake a, a new course in my life that's, that's led me to this moment um, of, of having been elected to council and, and having been elected as mayor of Yarra. So how did you end up running for, for Yarra City Council? So I've been um, I've been a member of the Greens for for quite a long time. Um, that really kind of pushed me to start seeing how I could be more effective, and um, have been undertaking a postgraduate law degree to kind of expand my skills around law reform and public policy and human rights. And um, I saw that local government was this incredibly powerful but often overlooked level of government because what it does is it 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 affects our everyday lives. Um, and the decisions that council make can really shape the world around us immediately. And, and it can also show what's possible. And I think that local governments can really be bold and ambitious in how they make changes because they're looking at such a kind of small area. And then that provides a demonstration and inspiration for, for state um, policies and for federal policies. And I think that that's, that local council is a really powerful place to be to make positive, meaningful change for society. Of course, the city of Yarra has a proud history of refugee activism. Yes. How can we expect your your history as a refugee activist to kind of, you know, permeate in your role as mayor? Yeah, look, um, at local council we, we can definitely advocate but we don't have much jurisdiction over, um, you know, refugee or immigration um, policies. 
But what we can do is to support our um, multicultural communities um, and our low-income communities and our vulnerable communities to uh, live the best lives that they can in the city of Yarra. So, for example, uh, 10% of Yarra's population uh, lives in public housing and at the moment they are living in terrible conditions, overcrowded conditions. We saw the lockdown in North Melbourne and, and Kensington um, that they, you know, that they are still subject to this growing inequality um, in our societies. Um, and so what we can do at a council level is we can really strongly advocate for um, more public housing. So the state government's just committed to um, a big build of public housing. We want that in, in Yarra. And we can, um, we can make sure that we have more public housing to fix the, the, ha- the housing crisis. Um, and we can also advocate for better maintenance and better conditions for people living in current public housing um, and the services to accompany that as well. So that's a way to kind of um, to support our multicultural communities that are here um, and, and a lot of those, those people living in, um, in public housing are people from um, refugee backgrounds like my, um, my fellow councillor Anab Muhammad who was, who was elected alongside me in Langridge. Um, who is a really strong ac- activist and, and community organiser in the public housing resident um, realm, and she, she lives in Atherton Gardens and is a, a community leader there. So what are some of the other policy issues that are dear to your heart that we're going to see you acting on as Mayor of the City of Yarra? Yeah, so Yarra has delivered a really strong progressive vote. Um, you know, the, the nine councillors who are elected have a lot of shared priorities, um, you know, they they voted for women, they voted for our LGBTIQA um, communities, they voted for our multicultural communities and our public housing residents. Um, but the, And our policies really align around um, the housing crisis, active transport and transitioning to renewables, for example. Um, I see this as an opportunity to deliver a Green New Deal for Yarra, effectively. Um, so that's uh, a suite of policies that support our local communities and our local economies while setting us up for the future as well. Um, so what I'm really focused on is that while we build back better from this crisis, from the from the pandemic, we put in place what we need to future-proof our city because there are going to be future shocks and we need to be ready for it. So that involves uh, a quick transition to renewable energies, um, energy. so planning reforms that, that force developers to meet really, really high standards of energy efficiency and sustainability. It means, as I said before, pressuring the state government to build more public housing and improve the living conditions in existing public housing. Um, it means at a local level we can fix our waste crisis with a rollout of organic waste bins um, and putting pressure on the state government to build new recycling facilities um, in Victoria. Um, so it, it also means investment in active transport, you know, planning to transition away from fossil fuel transport. And I think that this pandemic has really given us an opportunity to examine everything it, about how we, how we live, how we work, how we play, how we travel, um, as Arundhati Roy said, the pandemic is a portal and I truly believe that and that's one of the things that spurred me on to jump into this opportunity of, of becoming a counsellor this year specifically because the pandemic has allowed us to re-examine all of that and I think that, that um, we need to seize that opportunity, grab it with both hands. The city of Yarra already had you know, huge socioeconomic divides between the rich and the poor before the pandemic hit? To what extent has COVID-19 
widened those gulfs? I think that it has really had a huge impact on um, on our socioeconomic divide. Um, it's had a huge impact on our youth. Uh, it's had a huge impact on our retail and hospitality industries. Um, it's had a huge impact on casual the casualized workforce. Um, and I think that a lot of people are really, really hurting right now. So our COVID recovery will need to focus on um, revitalizing those economies so that we can um, that we can re-employ those people who have really been suffering um, and um, and and investing in the culture of our communities as well so that they can really be um, celebrated and supported to um, to re-emerge from this pandemic. Yes, the city of Yarra has got a huge number of uh, of retail businesses, hospitality businesses, and small arts businesses. And you mentioned council's commitment to revitalisation. How do you do that? Well, I think that we've seen a lot of success around the trials of outdoor um, parklets and outdoor dining. Um, I have been absolutely exhilarated walking down, um, you know, Smith Street and Brunswick Street, and even through quieter neighbourhoods, seeing this kind of cosmopolitan feel emerge from all this outdoor dining. Those are, those are temporary trials, um, but I, I've, I've been hearing calls from traders and from locals that they want to um, continue those as, as more permanent features of, a, of Yarra life. So um, I think that, um, that, if that if that call is strong enough that we could, we could look at, at retaining um, or extending those trials. Um, and I think that that could support us to continue to be COVID safe because we, we're going to be um, in this for the long haul and, um, and also boosting our local economies. I also really want to see the arts as part of that revitalisation. So um, investing in creative interventions, whether it's temporary or, public, or, or permanent um, public interventions in our streetscapes, investing in festivals and performances, um, and, and really bringing artists back out of the woodwork and making sure that Yarra re- remains a, a centre for the arts um, because, it, because artists are really very hard hit by the pandemic as well. Absolutely. And, of course, Yarra has a huge creative industry. Mm. This must be the first time we've had a mayor in Yarra that's a professional artist themselves. Yeah. Uh, what insights do you think that gives you? Well, I think it gives me a, a lot more insight into the way in which the arts work. And I was also I was really proud when writing the policy platform that we took to that the the five Greens councillors that were elected took to um, the election that I could provide that insight about um, you know what kind of support artists really want um, and what they really need because. Um, the state and federal, oh, the federal government especially, has absolutely decimated arts funding, and and artists really rely on that funding from all three levels of government. So if we want Yarra to um, to continue to be a centre for the arts, then we actually need to, um, to to seriously look at at boosting our support for artists, um, because otherwise, you know, CAP, for example, the Contemporary Art Precinct um, at Collingwood Yards, has only just opened when the pandemic hit and all of those um, galleries and and initiatives had to shut down the moment they opened. So um, I think that we, um, we we need to have some close consultation with those small creative industries in Yarra um, and see how they need to be supported best and bring them in on the conversation. 
So you're saying the city of Yarra uh, is going to be running some consultations with local artists to discuss how they can be best supported during this critical time. Yeah, um, I'm really pleased that I've been um, I've been uh, put on the arts advisory committee. So that's one of the ways that we um, that Yarra kind of reaches out to the arts community to seek um, input throughout the term. Um, and uh, yes, I think that close communication and I'll be reaching out to my former colleagues in the arts to to arrange to um, consult with them about how they can best be supported throughout the throughout the pandemic and beyond as well. You're listening to an interview with newly elected City of Yarra Mayor Gabrielle DeVitri on 3CRs in your face. Of course, you're from the queer community. What policy priorities in LGBTIQ issues can we expect from you during your time as mayor? Um, look, Yarra is a real centre for queer culture and queer business, but I think we do risk losing it if we don't show it some love, just the same way as Paran has, has lost it. Um, but I'm really, really excited, firstly, that the LGBTIQ plus strategy um, is being developed and it was developed in consultation with the queer community in Yarra. Um, and it's currently before council, so we're due to receive a briefing on that. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that and making sure that it's as strong as it can be. Um, most of the councillors also signed up to the Rainbow Votes pledge, um, and part of that is a pledge to seek rainbow tick accreditation for council-run services and to um, seek to establish an LGBTIQA plus um, advisory committee to council. So um, I, I think that that seems to be an across-the-board focus for the councillors, and I think that that's um, definitely something that we can look at establishing. Have you seen the LGBTIQ draft strategy yet? What does it have in it? I'm going to be briefed on it on Monday, so I'm really looking forward to that. You mentioned Paran and how it's lost its way with the queer community. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate a bit more on that? I guess when I moved to Melbourne uh, almost 20 years ago, um, that was really the centre for queer culture in, in my mind. You know, Commercial Road and, and around there was just um, the place to be. And I think that it fizzled out and I think, um, you know, Yarra's now a centre, the centre perhaps. I think we have about uh, five times the percentage of same-sex identifying couples in Yarra uh, compared to the Victorian average. Um, and I think that we need to work hard to to make sure that that part of our community is really supported. So it's about celebrating and promoting our queer businesses, of which there are many, um, but also looking at it in a holistic way, um, making sure that there's kind of the support services that um, that look after the you know the health and the well being and the and the identity of queer culture in in in, um, in Yarra. So. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to, to seeing how the LGBTIQA plus um, strategy supports that. So it's your view that Yarra has kind of taken over the mantle as uh, the queer capital, if you like, of, of Melbourne from Stonington and perhaps the city of Port Phillip as well? I think so. Is that is that the impression that you get? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we've got the Pride Centre that's about to open in Port Phillip, so they might start to give you a bit of a run for, for your money perhaps. They might, they might. I'd love to see a Pride Centre here as well, a northern Pride Centre. Um, but, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a pers- on my personal wish list. 
the very first Pride March, of course, was in, in Brunswick Street, I think before it was called mm. the Pride March. Do you think there's, you know, a possibility that Yarra might push to take over the Pride March? I haven't explored that, but it's now on my radar. Um, and of course, I think there's a there's a there's a lineup for Midsummer um, around Smith Street, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that and hearing hearing more about how that's going to roll out. Fantastic. Now, it's my understanding that Yarra now has a queer mayor and a queer deputy mayor. What can you tell us about the deputy mayor? I think that's a first in Australia, yeah? I, um, I'm not sure it's happened before, no. Um, look, Claudia Nguyen is, um, as you say, a, a, a queer woman and I think she's going to make a great representative for um, the Vietnamese community as well, for um, the young community, and I think she's a really strong, focused and, and principled choice for deputy mayor. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to um, to working alongside her. So you two have a good political relationship, even though she's an independent? Uh, look, she said she's going to keep me in check and I, and I look forward to that. I think um, it's uh, our, so as you probably know as well, the, the um, Yarra election has produced a Greens majority government in, um, in Yarra for the very first time. Um, but of course, as I said, the, our policies and our and our um, our key priorities really overlap with the independent councillors. So we're really keen to um, to support that collaboration and to you know not to kind of mimic the the majority and opposition kind of formula that the state and the government and the federal governments have, and to to really try and um, to make this an inclusive council. So um, my support for Claudia in, deputy, in the position of Deputy Mayor um, reflects that willingness to, um, to work across our shared priorities to, you know, for, the, for the Yarra community. The city of Yarra has the largest number of uh, Indigenous Aboriginal organisations in Victoria. There's a, a, real, a real diversity of them and a, a real concentration of them in the in the Smith Street uh, and Brunswick Streets and Nicholson Street areas. The City of Yarra has also had a checkered relationship with Indigenous communities in the past. Yeah. What's your vision for working with local Aboriginal communities? Uh, look, um, Yarra has been a very, very significant area for the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people and it, it still is for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, the, you know, as... Um, as a council, we, we need to not only celebrate and support Aboriginal people and culture in Yarra, but lead by example for in the fight for racial justice. And I think that the, the events globally over the last couple of years has really highlighted that, um, that this fight is not over. Um, and Aboriginal deaths in custody, for example, is, is an issue that, does, that touches Yarra. Um, only this year, a Yorta Yorta woman um, and Yarra resident and a member of the local parkies died in police custody. So, um, we um, we we need to be on the forefront of this, and and I commit to upholding and observing um, a commitment to to racial justice um, and a kind of close consultation with the Aboriginal community. And I'll be watching closely um, the council's involvement on the Yana Nangana committee, which is the Aboriginal advisory um, committee to um, to take on the advice that comes from that committee. And I think that that's that's the way that. Um, that that I can uh, that I can begin my collaboration as a as a councillor and as a mayor with the Aboriginal um, community in Yarra. 
in recent years, it's really emerged that the city of Yarra has a diverse and articulate sex work community. Mm. Uh, are you committed to the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria? I absolutely support the decriminalisation of sex work. Decisions about, around sex work aren't actually under uh, local jurisdiction, but where there are opportunities for advocacy, um, I will defend the decriminalisation of um, consent consensual adult sex work um, and also the right of sex workers to operate without the oversight by law enforcement agencies. Decriminalisation is the only model that supports sex workers' rights in the workplace and it results in, in better health for sex workers and it amplifies opportunity for outreach um, and and compliance with health and safety standards. So uh, in short, yes, I absolutely support the decriminalisation of sex work. You mentioned before that Yarra now has a majority green number of councillors. Uh, what's your relationship like with the other councillors that aren't from the Greens? Uh, it's an emerging relationship um, and it shifts very radically once you go from election mode to, um, to council mode. So we are um, working closely in consultation with the other, um, with the other councillors. Uh, so we've had a very intense program of, of inductions and of getting to know yous. Um, and I think that that relationship will probably emerge as the, as the term goes on. Um, but as I said, we have shared priorities and I really look forward to us working together for good, solid governance, um, for a collaborative relationship and for us to be able to work together to listen to and represent the, the communities in Yarra and, and the very diverse set of voices. Um, because there, there are, on every issue, um, different opinions and different voices. And um, I think that as a um, council, we'll be able to uh, take on as many of those voices as we can in making our decisions. Gabrielle DeVitri, congratulations on your election as the Mayor of the City of Yarra. And thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, James. Good to talk with you. 3CR. And we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Taking us as Macy Gray with I Try.
I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was a, obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.